Jodie Shield. I'm a success and leadership coach, self-improvement author and presenter and wellness entrepreneur. And this is my new podcast series called She's Electric. I'm meeting incredibly powerful trailblazing female leaders and you're going to hear everything from their career milestones to the worst problems that they've faced in their road for success. The aim is to empower and inspire you so that you know that there's absolutely nothing that you cannot overcome. In this episode, I'm going to be chatting to the brilliant and adorable Dr. Hazel Wallace, or as known to her fans, the Food Medic. If you don't know Hazel, she created the Food Medic, which is a health and fitness platform aimed at sharing evidence-based advice on nutrition and lifestyle medicine. Hazel, a UK-based health and fitness blogger and social media influencer, in addition to be a doctor, is also now a best-selling author of two books, The Food Medic and The Food Medic for Life. She now works as a doctor in London and bridges the gap between mainstream medicine and nutrition in her blog and on her social media. Plus, Hazel's just launched a brilliant new podcast called The Food Medic Podcast, so go and subscribe ASAP. So I really hope that you enjoy the next half an hour or so. And if you do, then please subscribe and rate and comment in the relevant section of your podcast app. And also remember to check out the show notes and learn more about me on my website, jodyshield.co.uk. So listen up, get inspired and be electric. We're currently sitting in what is sort of like my office space, but also my chill out space. So like I've got loads of flowers in here I've got like my incense candles lots of cozy things like cushions and these are the things that make me just feel so at peace um and that was something really important for me when I did move here because I moved a little bit out of London so that I would have more space because I love going home at the end of a busy day and I live by myself and I really enjoy my own space so Hmm. yeah I've got massive cushions (laughs) because I don't love my sofa and I can't change it because it's not mine but I can change the interior which is why I've got like cushions everywhere and just make it cozy. Oh well I just I love everything about this room I just I feel immediately calm and relaxed when I come in and of course, we've got incense burning as well, which is one of my favourite things to <laughs> smell in the world. And um, you recently got into meditation, didn't you? Tell us a bit about how you're getting on with your meditation practice. Yeah, I I think I tried it a couple of years ago and really and approached it with the wrong way, thinking that I was doing it wrong or that I couldn't clear my mind. And as a very busy person... I didn't think I could sit still for 10 minutes. And then I had a really special experience in Ibiza this time last year, actually. And I was like, oh, maybe there's more to meditation than I thought. And maybe I can do it right. And maybe I can just find my own way of doing it. And ever since that day, which was June last year, I've done it every day. And now, now it's a daily practice for me and something that I advocate for even my patients and people I come across. Um... Yeah, I think it's helped me be a more calm person. Mm, Amazing. Mm. Ibiza is a really, really special place. Mm. And I'm so glad that you got to experience it in that way. So I I remember first seeing you on Instagram. I'm not sure exactly how I found you, but I've got a feeling that the beautiful team at Yellow Kite were chatting a lot about you. And and I thought, and I, I looked at you and I thought, wow, Here's someone who has all of her shit together. (laughs) She is beautiful, professional, super driven, super ambitious and super, super, super smart. A bit of a super woman all around. And, And obviously, we both know how social media is incredibly powerful at presenting these very carefully curated lifestyles of people. But there was something about you that I didn't feel was misconstrued or misaligned in any way. I felt like what I saw was what I got and so that just made me smile and then when we finally met yeah I I knew exactly yeah I I kind of (laughs) felt everything about you and uh, I was just really really honored to to get to, to, to meet you and so yeah and so I got your first book which was amazing and then what really um touched me on a really deep level actually was reading about the why trying to understand the why why you're here in this place now why you're so so committed to everything that you're doing 
Um, and that was really finding out about your dad and everything that happened there and, and how that really drove you to make a difference in the world, which is obviously really what you're doing now. So if you wouldn't mind, um, would you share a little bit about your story? And, and for me, you know, I'm just so interested. I'm always interested in the why, like what drives us? To, to do the things that we do and what is it that we believe in on such a deep level that really allows us to to have this amazing vision that's unwavering and stick to that as we go through our life um yeah so if, I think my why is really strong and it's only something that I realized on reflection mm. um and when I was 14, I lost my father to a, a stroke and um, he'd been recently, recently diagnosed with type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure, which are huge risk factors for having a stroke. And I remember him, you know, joining the gym and being a bit more mindful about what he was eating. But sadly, he, um, he ended up having a small stroke. I remember I was sitting at the dinner table when it happened and then he went on and had a lot a larger stroke a week later which actually um took his life so it was really traumatic for a 14 year old to go through that and something changed inside of inside of me mm. um which I didn't fully appreciate at the time I just thought I want to be a doctor I want to save lives and help people and that's when I kind of started on my path or journey to becoming a doctor like conventional doctor there was no real thoughts about how I could change lifestyle mm -hmm. and somewhere along the journey I um I kind of put off grieving I didn't grieve for a long time mm. um probably the until the second year after we lost him and then I grieved really hard and I lost a lot of weight I became very depressed I was about 16 17 at the time and I didn't want to leave my house and I just wanted everything to be as they were but I couldn't change things mm. And going through that experience um, was really life-changing for me because my mum had to reach out and say, Hazel, we need to get you better. And um, she asked me to go to a GP with her. So we went to my GP and I felt really comfortable there. I was able to disclose how I was feeling, that you know I wasn't sure about whether I wanted to continue with life and sharing really, really deep things. But also I said to her, I want... I want to get better mm. and I had that hope I said I want to get better I want to get better for my mum I have my exams I want to become a doctor and together her and my mum and I um we worked we met with a dietitian and she helped me gain weight again we had like set targets and long story cut short um after a couple of months I put the weight back on and I was you know sitting my exams like everyone else wow yeah mm. so it was very whirlwind and to be completely honest with you, a lot of it I can't remember. Mm. Um, and it's not because it's, you know, it's about 11, 12 years ago now, but it's because I kind of blocked away that part of my mm. life. Mm. But going through that experience and also going through the experience of losing my dad made me realise that food and exercise and how we live our life is very important to our health. Mm. And for me, food made me better. Mm -hmm. For my dad food and I guess his lifestyle made him unwell mm. and it was that that kind of link made me realize that there's so much more we can be doing as doctors mm. and also you know just as human beings there's so much more we can do to better ourselves and better our health mm. to prevent these things happening in the long run mm. so now yeah I work as a conventional doctor I work in a hospital but outside of the hospital I like raising awareness about how foods can improve our health how daily exercise can improve our health how meditation and stress management can <laughs> improve our health and just little ways to help offload that massive epidemic we have of these chronic lifestyle related diseases and like you said it's it's not just type 2 diabetes and high blood pressure it affects all of us it's depression it's alzheimer's disease it's breast cancer it's colon cancer there's so such a huge link between how we live our lives and the diseases that we die from today mm, wow i got chills when you were talking about how you know food was helping to heal you and how it was just causing so many of these um life disease lifestyle diseases in the world it just it gave me chills so mm. Yeah, I, I really feel you. Um, and as a doctor, 
like what what kind of doctor are you like what kind of um like where do you operate in in, ter- in the hospital who what kind of patients do you see and what does that look like yeah so um i'm actually a really a uh, junior doctor mm. i'm in my second year of since i've been fully qualified and it was difficult because in my first year as a doctor that was when everything took off for me in the food medic you know my first book came out i was writing my second book i was you know everything was big and I had to juggle that on a full-time um full-time job as a junior doctor which is notoriously difficult because you you're scheduled to work five to seven days a week depending if you're on call or not and you know five to seven yeah so So seven if you're on call right um seven days one one after the other yeah and then a break yeah wow um and for me it was I didn't realize like I was just firefighting at the time but I had to take a step back then this year um, and now I locum as a doctor so I'm still junior level I haven't decided which specialty to go into yet okay that's my next step right decide what I need to do whether I'm going to be a GP or surgeon or a medic so at the moment it's actually quite nice because I work in every specialty like Sometimes I'm in breast surgery, sometimes I'm in A&E. I, like, I just float between departments because I'm not specialised yet. Mm. Um, so I know a little bit of everything, which I really like. And I'm still working in the hospital I worked in last year. So when I go back in, they know, they know mm. who I am. I've got the same team. Um, but to answer your question about patients, I see all sorts. Um, majority of people are... 40 plus I would Mm, say mm. um but when I work in breast surgery I see women as young as the age of 19 Mm. and up to the age of 80 Mm. um which has really opened up my mind and my eyes to how cancer affects all ages Mm. and all people of all walks of Mm, life mm. again Um, shivers chills do you find that the the age of women now um uh struggling with breast cancer has reduced as in like other is the ratio of younger patients now is it is it higher than it was before? Do you feel? No, I think well maybe because we've got better um, diagnostic techniques and also um, I don't really think that the the age range has shifted. Majority of women who suffer from breast cancer are in their thirties or above the age of thirty, um, and there's a huge genetic link with breast cancer. Um, mm such a huge link but there's also like you know environmental factors and lifestyle factors so we know that and being physically inactive can increase your risk by 20 percent um which is quite quite substantial yeah um and it that's something that i'm passionate about i think um it's it's difficult when you see a young woman come in and she's Mm. she's going through this process because you kind of see yourself in, in that mm, woman. Mm. And oftentimes the women are younger than me and it just makes you realise how fragile life is. Mm. Um, and we can't run away from cancer. Like you can't, you can do all of the exercise in the world and have the best diet, but you can't run away from, mm. from things that we're genetically predisposed to. But mm. you can reduce your risk and also ensure that the life that you do have is a healthy one. Mm. And that's what I'm kind of passionate about, I guess, sharing. So talk to us on that then. Talk to us a bit about the the blog and how all of that started and your mission with that, basically. Yeah, so that started uh, when I was at university. I moved to Wales when I was 18 and packed my bags and left the country. (laughs) Um, And um, I... It was my first time living away from home and I kind of found myself in the position where I was living life probably a bit too much in that, like, a lot of cider, a lot of just, like, <laughs> a lot of food and probably nothing. Like, Did you drink snake bite? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever get it spilled down you? Oh, my God, yes. And you'd never get it off your clothes. It was, and it was, like, a pound a pint. So, like, and every Wednesday, everyone would go out Um so yeah, I kind of got to the end of my first year of uni and I was like, whoa, I don't look like the same person I did a couple of months ago. And also I can't run for a bus without like having a full on asthma attack. So I thought to myself, if you're going to be a doctor, like you have to be a doctor who can run for a bus and also is a role model for the patients. Cause I think you have to practice what you preach. So yeah. I remember Googling what is the best diet, you know, like what is the healthiest diet and 
it was then I realised how confusing um, it was to find out that answer because there was like magazines telling me, you know, I had to go on a juice diet or cut out all these food groups. And then there was various scientific papers that were looking at other things. So I realised it was not an easy answer. Mm. And actually, I don't think there's one good, great diet, but I thought, well, there's a space here. There's a space for someone to look at the actual science and give people what they need. So that's when I started the food medic and I started blogging about what I was finding. I started creating recipes. I started cooking from scratch again. And I also decided to join a gym, but instead of just spending hours on like a treadmill or cross trainer, I was going to be brave and try looking at lifting weights because Mm. again, from the science, I realized that resistance training was going to offer me huge benefits. Mm. So I dragged my boyfriend at the time to the gym and I was like, show me how to squat. Like, (laughs) I don't know what to do with this bar. Um, Were you the only girl in like a sea of men? I was. This was when weightlifting for girls was not cool, like 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Now it's pretty, pretty cool and pretty common. Yeah. But then it was like a new thing. And it was definitely a learning curve. Like when people ask me how easy it was, I was it was difficult. Like it was difficult eating well. It was difficult prepping my meals. It was difficult getting to the gym around my busy schedule. Mm. But it soon became a habit. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, why have I never done this before? I even found that my exam performance was going up because like I was having proper meals rather than having Doritos and cheese which I do and put, like put it in the microwave I was, I was so unhealthy like I cringe um, but we all we've go all through that it. we've all we've done all that done it. and um, I think yeah my blog just continued throughout then and it was more of a personal journey I didn't really expect it to become the business that it is today or to write books and I was very nervous I didn't want to share it with people because my peers didn't think the way I did they that's you know, really interesting that you say that because I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah um, they just, I mean, nutritional science isn't very robust. The studies aren't great. Mm. It's a very new science and it's not something you learn in medical school. And you definitely don't learn anything about physical activity. There's not one lecture in your entire <laughs> medical school career mm. where you will talk about exercise. Yeah. And I was kind of like, hey, guys, why aren't we learning about this? Why aren't we talking about it? And it was more like, Mm. (laughs) you know, pills and surgery are bread and butter. And they still are my bread and butter. But if we have the power to prevent people requiring these pills or surgery and help them live longer, healthier lives, I think that's such an underutilized Mm. piece of valuable information Mm. that people don't know. Absolutely. My gosh. Huge. Hugely valuable. Wow. Okay. Um, so a big part of my, my life, I guess my routine is, is the way that I get up in the morning Mm. and what I put in place to ensure that I have, I guess the sounds a bit cheese, but the best day that I can possibly have, because I'm fully aware that the way that we get up and wake up and what we do really shapes the kind of day we're going to have, the mindset we're going to be in, the mood we're going to be in. So what, what do you do in the morning? (laughs) <laughs> and what, what kind of gives you that drive and electric because you've clearly got a lot of drive and you've got a lot of electricity going on so what what gives you that in the morning um I think the first thing I do which has changed now over time is one thing I have done is I've got an alarm clock so I don't have my phone as my alarm anymore because just how important is that super important to not have the phone in the bedroom absolutely mm-hmm. I think your phone sh- your what I say to people is your bedroom should be used for two things, sleep and sex, mm. and have nothing else in there. Like, mm. it used to be my, uh, you know, my study, where I ate my food. You know, at university, your bedroom's your only thing you have. Mm. So now my room is just empty, like, it just has my wardrobe, and, and I keep my phone outside of that room so that when I go in to go to bed, I know that's kind of, like, my safe space. My bri- my brain's like, right, we're going to sleep now. Mm. Um, so... I try to switch off my kind of technology an hour before I go to bed, if not longer. Mm. I struggle with getting it over 60 minutes, but the blue light emitted from your phone, your iPad, the TV screen, anything Mm. suppresses melatonin Mm. and we need melatonin to help us fall asleep Mm. and have a restful sleep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And again, melatonin is not just for falling asleep. You know, there's melatonin, melatonin receptors on organs of our body. So now we're linking that with pancreatic cancer and breast Mm, cancer so mm. sleep is so important Mm. so yeah I once I wake up (laughs) in the morning 
switch off my alarm and before I go on Instagram or anything like that I'll do my 10 minutes of meditation and um, to try set my day off in the right frame of mind and um, after that I go directly to my desk which is beside where I meditate and I have a paper journal and I write out what I need to do that day mm. while my mind is like fresh and I haven't looked at my emails yet so mm. I write my to-do list and it's split up into should do what I really need to do that day and could do but I could slide over to the next mm, day. <laughs> like that. Yeah, and then and then it's coffee time. And, <laughs> and people are always like, you have coffee, isn't that bad? Don't you have like water and lemon? And I'm like, no, <laughs> water and lemon's just good for hydrating. There's no reason that you need to have it first thing. So yeah, I'm a, co- a coffee monster. <laughs> How do you drink your coffee? I just have it with a dash of oat milk. Mm. Yeah, and I, like, I don't have an espresso machine. I'm actually... I'll either make it here or there's a really good coffee shop not far from me mm. and I quite enjoy that walk in the mm, morning because mm. I get up super early and it's usually quite quiet mm. and I love walking especially now while it's really bright in the morning mm. and you can just hear the birds grab my coffee listen to like an audiobook or a podcast and come back love it and I'm just like it just makes me feel all the good vibes before yeah. I start my day I love that um just on the coffee thing I just think it's such an interesting topic of conversation we're not going to go into it in great Mm. detail now but for me I I'm a great believer in the the intention behind what you're interacting with so if you're someone that likes to escape your thoughts and emotions through addictions whether that be alcohol or whether it be work or whether it be exercise then you're just transferring those addictions to coffee to kind of feel good to escape those thoughts however if you're a relatively clear person like you clearly are then having coffee you know you're having that and you know you're having that relationship with coffee because you enjoy it and it tastes good and it's such a difference isn't it yeah there is so what I say to people is if you're requiring coffee to stay to be wakeful yeah and if you feel like if you're not drinking your coffee you're falling asleep at your desk then there's there that's a bad relationship because mm. coffee has become that crutch for you yeah um and also the thing is we metabolize coffee very differently so there's an enzyme that we have we all have that metabolizes coffee in our liver and um, it also metabolizes like drugs and things like that and that's very different in all of us so you can be a fast metabolizer or a slow metabolizer so for me I can drink coffee and I don't feel jittery. I don't feel like excited or confused. I don't feel like my heart's racing. But you might be the opposite. You might find you you only have to sniff coffee and you're bouncing off the ceiling. And that is because we are such individual people Mm. and we tolerate coffee differently. Mm, mm, mm. Um, So again, like there's no real right or wrong answer when it comes to how many cups of coffee should I have a day? Yeah. Or is coffee bad for me? It's like, it's individual to you. Yeah. But if you have a good relationship with it and you feel okay and it doesn't cause distress, then absolutely. I totally, totally agree. I went to Crush, which for those of you that don't live in London is a coffee shop chain here or a juice. It's actually a juice bar chain. Um, And they do um, brain boosting coffee. Mm. so what they have what they do it's like it's called smart coffee and um i haven't done any research into this to know if it's um valid but they have it's a bulletproof coffee with the butter and the whatever else they put in there and then this thing called n m m c t or m yeah m c t oil mm. it's something to do with the brain so i've been trying that and i i wouldn't be able to say if it's had any any positive impact on my brain but there's for me there's something about mixing something like that with coffee because somehow it slows down for me the I guess it would be the release or something it's it kind of whatever it happens I drink it and it doesn't give me a a high like you said but somehow it it makes me kind of stay at the same level and it 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 somehow like lengthens the effect that it has on me yeah I'm not sure what that's about but it's just it's interesting yeah well I think uh, I personally I feel like bulletproof coffee makes claims that are unfounded Mm. but what you say actually has a lot of theory to it because fat reduces the absorption of food Mm. so if you have a fat like coconut oil or butter or mct oil that's going to slow down the absorption of the caffeine Mm. and therefore give you this prolonged effect as opposed to if you're drinking it you know Mm. espresso straight down Mm. so maybe that does you know that suits you better Mm. Interesting. interesting yeah 
I'm going to ask you a, a bit of a controversial question now, but it would be really easy for you to answer, I'm sure. When I was in LA last year, um, I was um, coming across a lot of, um, a lot of like, entrepreneurial people who were super interested in human performance in terms of understanding how we can maximize the mind or the brain and, and hack into the subconscious a bit more to release fear and limitation mm. so that we can perform better in life. And what's what's interesting is that there's a bit of a craze, and I don't know how underground this is or how out in the open it is, I'm not sure. There's a bit of a craze at the moment going on, uh, specifically in the States, specifically in Silicon Valley and and in uh, Los Angeles and uh, maybe New York as well, I'm not sure, but it's it's about microdosing. Have you heard about that? Mm. So the way I understand it is microdosing is it involves small amounts of, um, I guess, hallucinogenics. So uh, uh, pharmaceutical, whatever this means, but pharmaceutical grade um, MDMA stuff that they've, they've done studies on um, patients with depression and mental health conditions. And uh, they also recommend microdosing uh, mushrooms as well. So <laughs> it's just a very... And I don't have any opinion on this at all because I haven't done any research. I'm very cure. I'm always, you know me, I'm always curious in alternative medicines. But have you come across any studies um, in that field at all? Well, we know in patients with pain, um, you know, like long chronic pain patients and patients recovering from cancer and who are undergoing like a lot of treatments mm. that cannabis um, and cannabis oil mm. can CBD really, yeah it can mm. be really helpful mm. um, and that's uh, because it's you know targeting those pain receptors and helping alleviate mood and everything and I can see how definitely if you had a mood disorder mm. drugs are going to make you feel better mm. um, but because it would be very, you'd have to be so careful on the dosing mm. so that you're not, you know, you don't have patients who are becoming addicted because even For now sure. we have opioid addiction is such a huge thing because sure. people become addicted to their pain meds. Mm. And it's, are we removing one addiction and replacing it with another? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it is interesting. It's almost like, what is that movie? And he is a limitless where he takes that yeah, drug and that's it. Yeah, that, that's what it reminds me of. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I think people are always trying to tap into ways they can, like, you know, get these experiences. But it is, it's really blurring the lines between medicine and science and basically drug abuse, mm. essentially. Mm. So it's like, where do we say, where do we draw that line? Mm. You know, who's allowed? Where's the safety? Who's regulating this? Mm. Like, they're the questions I ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for anyone that's curious about human performance, there's a really great book that I'm reading called Stealing Fire, and it's by Stephen Kotler, and I will share it in the show notes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, loads of amazing things to ask you. I just find you so interesting. So I'm like, okay, um, what is, I guess, what's the the kind of the biggest lesson that you've learned so far? Um... I think, like, one of my, I guess, life mottos, and I use it time and time again, is failure is not final. Mm. And I think there was one point in my life where I almost gave up on my life, and that was as a teenager. And then coming out of that, I, which I didn't actually mention at the beginning of this podcast, is I didn't actually get into medicine first time around. Mm. I moved to Wales um, from Ireland to do medical sciences, which is a bachelor's degree, but it's shaped towards people who want to do medicine. Mm. But you have to get a first class honours. So I was like, oh, I didn't get medicine. Too I many to snake bites. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went, I went there and I worked hard and I ended up applying for medicine and I got loads of offers, which was great. Mm. And then when I, so I went into medicine and I ended up graduating top of my year mm. on the Dean's list, like, wow. which is really difficult to get. And I, you know, like people are like, oh, you're so intelligent, you're so smart. And I'm like, no, I'm just really hardworking. Yeah. And I just say that time and time again, like even with my business, when things go wrong mm. and I don't get it right or I've tried something, I'm just like, you're just approaching it the wrong way. And mm. if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. And my mum always says like, what will be, like what will be, will be. Mm. And what's meant for you won't pass you by. And Love I just... It. I just say that to myself all the time. Mm. It's not always easy to believe, but... <laughs> mm. Gives you some comfort, though, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Awesome. 
And then you're you're obviously really, really big and successful on social media. And, and like, for me, what I love about you is that you're so authentic and consistent with your message and, you know, and, and everything that you say is coming from such a place of credibility and is a testament to all the studying and the qualifications that you have. And, 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 and everybody knows they can go to your feed on Instagram and get some amazing, amazing uh, advice and wisdom backed by science and, you know, all the things that we really need to behind the claims to really know that they're robust and to know that we can trust what's being said to us so it's it's incredible um to just yeah to, to have your your feed as inspiration um have you been have you have you kind of been a victim of of any negative comments or um dare we say like trolling or have you have you have you kind of come across that on your journey on social media and how have you dealt with it mm. i am very fortunate that i haven't experienced a lot of it mm. um as my social media grows more and more people um share their opinions and mm. share their opinions opinions of me mm-hmm. um but i think what while i'm i'm almost backed by the safety net of science yeah and, um i'm really putting myself out there you know i don't share too much of my personal life i would never share like relationships that kind of thing mm. um it's very much like we're talking about food, we're talking about exercise, we're talking about facts. But sometimes I talk about really polarizing topics, um, like for example, detox diets yeah. and myth busting. Yeah. Um, I also like speak about like government campaigns like the obesity campaign and cancer. Mm. And you will always get people who have the completely completely opposite opinion of yeah. you. Yeah. And that obsess them. Yeah. And they will let you know that. And yeah. I think that's fine and I'm what I say to people is I'm absolutely open to debate. Mm. But if you come onto my page and disrupt it or say something completely negative or unwarranted or negative to someone else, mm. then I don't allow that and mm. I just delete it and mm-hmm. I think out of sight, out of mind. Um, but I haven't really had a personal attack on me in particular. Mm. But I've seen it happen to like my friends who are also online mm. and I think you have to accept that and grow a thick skin because these people don't know you and they just make assumptions from you know your feed or what you're endorsing x y and z and Mm. for me i think the biggest anxiety that social media gives me is that responsibility Mm. um and what i find sometimes now is um a lot of the time I'll leave my house and people will recognize me or mm. you know I'd say every day I'll meet someone who recognizes me which is really lovely but it also means that a lot of your privacy is taken away mm. and you have to accept that and mm. I always think oh my gosh what would it be like to be a celebrity mm, like mm. um and I think that's it's what's really lovely about the growth is although I have a huge following. It's been slow and steady. Like, I've been doing this for six years. Mm. So, I'm not shocked by it. And it's giving me that gradient, graded response. Mm. So, mm. like, every time I meet more people and do bigger events, I'm like, oh, we're getting bigger. But yeah. I can handle it. Yeah, we're getting yeah. bigger. And you yeah. have to just embrace that fear. Mm. That's amazing. Mm. It's like everything's pushing you a little bit more out of the comfort zone and a little bit more and a little bit more and it's just like expanding like this rubber band Mm. that feels really really lovely yeah and that's really good advice as well okay um (laughs) what do you feel like's been the secret to the success of you the food medic your um professional career as a doctor and your personal are you still are you personal training at the moment what are you doing with the personal training so um to answer the personal Sorry, training question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I so I fully qualified as a personal trainer whilst at medical school. Yeah. Um, because I started loving it mm. and I wanted to share that advice with people, but I also thought it would be unsafe and unethical if I didn't become qualified. Mm. So when I was at um medical school I did a couple of personal training sessions after I qualified to help me get through and <laughs> pay back those um, student fees mm. which didn't make a dent but um, <laughs> yeah now that I work full-time as the food medic and also as a doctor I don't take one-on-one clients I do help various um celebrities shall we say mm. um and help collaborate with them you know Gary Barlow's my most recent great yeah um, but also I try to give out um videos online for mm. people mm. and that's really how I that's express lovely. that yeah um 
I forgot your first I question. Yeah, I very much digress because <laughs> I was like, oh, we haven't talked about the PT. Yeah. Um, what is the, what's been the secret sauce oh, to your success? Secret. Yeah, secret the, sauce. Oh, I wish there was a secret sauce in a bottle. <laughs> because then I'd be a millionaire and be like, this is the secret sauce, guys. Just lather it on. But um, I think there's a couple of things. It's being authentic. Um, yeah. Having a story and being real that people mm. can relate to, mm. and also credibility, especially in my field. Yes. So as a, I, I like I come into the bracket as health and fitness blogger slash influencer. Yeah. There's millions of those in the sure, world for sure. And um, I think a couple of years when there was the clean eating backlash, people were really crying out for qualifications and credible advice. Yeah. And hey ho. It was great for me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because I was able to be like, I can be that voice of reasoning. I can be your big sister online and tell you what's safe, what's ethical, what's right, what's wrong. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's been that. great for me. Yeah. So it's like there's being at the right place at the right time, but there's also being the right person with yeah. the with the with the kind of not success mindset. I mean, you know what that means, but I mean, just and the open mind, the willingness to commit and the confidence to go for it, you know? Mm, the confidence is mm. such a big thing because I know there's so many doctors who could have done what I have done and mm. may be thinking about it, but it's being brave enough to go against what you learn and what you were told is right Yeah, and question that. And I think that's brave. And even like now I look back and go, whoa, I was brave as a medical student <laughs> call that out yeah I'm glad I did (laughs) yeah yeah no I I do think that sometimes when I um when I when I go I never really go on Twitter much but sometimes when I go on Twitter just to check in and you'll really uh you know you've got these really strong and very very valuable and credible opinions and I just think that that does take a lot of confidence and a a lot of balls really you know And, and you 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 have that in spades so that's amazing. Someone has to stand up and really lead the charge and, and this is exactly what you're doing. So yeah, yeah, amazing. I've never felt like I'm hugely great at one thing. I feel like I'm good at lots of different things. So mm. when it came to having a career in medicine, having a career in blogging, being an entrepreneur, being a personal trainer, deciding where I should focus my attention or how to split my attention has been the hardest thing. Mm. And ultimately, people will pigeonhole you into what they think you should do. Yeah. So for a long time, I found it very hard to step away from that full-time medical role. Mm. And actually, the hardest person to kind of be okay with that was myself. Mm. Because I told myself these stories that you're going to be a brain surgeon and this is the life you're going to have. And then I realized... I have so much more to offer yeah. and I cannot deny this opportunity as a food medic with a huge platform where every day I get to connect with hundreds and thousands of people mm. and give them advice that improves their life and it does sound super cheesy but I'm like this is this is my life role and I know that deep in my soul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Chills. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, if you know, I I'm a real advocate for um, kind of you know recognizing that we have all these different aspects of ourselves, and um, you know we 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 hold you know often we hold on to past experiences, and I quite like the idea there's like a little teenager inside of us that <laughs> is either really fucking angry and enraged by stuff that happened to, to them at that age, or just wants a bit of love and encouragement. So if you could go back, what would you say? to you at 13 I would say um I was definitely quite angry for a long time yeah and that's why I grieved really hard because I was angry that my dad had left and it wasn't until I sat down with someone and spoke about it that I realized I was angry and I think I was also angry at myself because I thought I could have changed things which I couldn't have Mm. so I guess what I'd say to myself is to stop being so hard on yourself and I I'm still quite hard on myself and I work probably too hard but I have learned to actually be quite nice to myself and (laughs) and practice self-care and if that's getting myself a nice bottle of wine or running a bath or having a day off then absolutely do that whereas Mm. before I would never be kind to myself in that Mm. way I didn't speak kindly of myself or to myself Mm. and 
I don't know if that's just something women learn as we come of age, mm. but I was a bitch to myself. <laughs> yeah. We all were. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, growing up as a teenage girl is never easy. Mm. And um, you just constantly compare yourselves to other girls and your sisters and your friends mm. and girls you see in magazines. And I'm just like, oh, you missed out on some things, like some special things, because you were beating yourself up so much. Mm. What was your group of friends like at school? Were you in the bitchy crowd? No. no. <laughs> my best friends are still my best friends. Oh, lovely. <laughs> so we all grew up in the same village in on the east coast of Ireland. Uh, went to primary school together, went to secondary school together. And now, you know, we're all 28 this year and we're still best friends. I've seen them last week. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Did they come here? We, I go back mostly. There's only two of us here in the UK, but most of them are back home. One mm. of them has a baby now. And they were, they're the best girls in the world and the biggest support. And they keep me grounded. And I, yeah, I love them to bits. And I'm, I know that I'm very fortunate to have friends like that because I know my sister, for example, she didn't have those friends in school or the friends that she thought she had she didn't stay in contact with and realised that actually she made her best friends as a grown woman yeah. in university. Yeah. And, you know, even when I've come to London, people find it very unusual that I'm still really good friends with my primary school friends. And mm. um, so I feel very lucky to say that. Mm, yeah. Mm, I can feel that. What excites you about being a woman right now? We had a little chat when I came in about, you know, women and, and especially in the kind of health and fitness industry and, and where I am, I suppose, in the more well-being industry. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a huge rise of, you know, female entrepreneurs and women really finding their power and their voice and coming out into the world with really amazing messages to share. Um, so it is exciting. But, but what excites you the most about being a woman right now, would you say? I think it's probably the best time to be a woman. Well, I don't mm. think it's the best time to be a man. Um, <laughs> but we have, I feel like women in general have found um, their voice and uh, again, maybe are a bit more confident. And I think when I see great women doing great things, it makes me believe in myself and I can do great things and, and be a great woman. Mm. Like when I sit around a board meeting table and it's all women like I'm inspired by that and it just makes me see things differently like I definitely think growing up and my mum was a stay-at-home mum and my dad was the working uh parent Mm. and we Ireland's very traditional and still is Mm. and I think then I had that mentality that men do hard work and Mm. women raise children and that was kind of like something I thought and um I think, I mean, going to university and being the first medic in my family was also something different. Mm. And as I've gone on and I realised that actually women can be just as successful, just as hardworking, women can be the breadwinners of the mm. family. Mm. And now that's a normal thing. Now I see men be at stay-at-home dads and that's mm. something it should be. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's, that's really powerful. Mm. And if you look around at the social media influences definitely the the industry that you're in it's there there are like it, it's really it, it's led by the women it really the is. women are representing right yeah mm. they're actually you know like it's not common you'll come across a man doing mm. this mm. um and that men do really well to be fair but um yeah we really are we're maybe just creatives and mm. finding ways to express ourselves better mm. i don't know rising yeah it it's, is, it's good though it's mm. um it's so true when they say like empowered women empower women mm. like because you do mm. you do and mm. I think like we said earlier there's room at, top, at the top for everyone yeah it's really interesting that just on that you know I I, I feel like um there's a tendency uh amongst women to feel or believe that they can't like shine brightly or be their kind of most radiant, powerful selves because, well, that they're either boasting or they're showing off or whatever programs they're carrying on a subconscious level. But what's what's amazing for me is just having that, you know, seeing that seeing women around me, especially who are so in their power and unapologetic about it, and you know, the whole reason for this podcast really is is electric women. You know, it's. It's me really talking to the women around me that really radiate that insatiable energy and 
that radiance and are, are not afraid to really to, to be in that place because we know that when we allow ourselves to be in that place you know we do inspire other people to be that we don't inspire women when we're hiding and we're being small and we're being a victim we inspire women when we're really having that voice so yeah it's just it's interesting because I think I feel like the natural tendency for so many of us is to like oh I'm saying too much or oh, I can't say that or they'll think that I'm boasting or whatever do, do you find can you yeah, resonate with that a little absolutely. bit absolutely yeah. I think um I like we mentioned earlier I'm just you know launching my second book and around that book you know there's lots of interviews and lots of press and lots of self-promotion and I think I almost get sick of my own voice and I don't want people to get tired of that and I have these doubts like oh maybe I shouldn't mention it again today and oh I don't want to impose on people and feel like I'm forcing them to get my book (laughs) because I think it's great and I don't want them to you know think that they have to do it and you end up like creating these doubts in your mind and um I think it's really nice when I speak to other people like yourself and realize you have those doubts and that's normal and we just have to like sit with them and move past them Mm, and mm. you know when I realize that what I'm doing why I'm doing it the why and that's because I'm trying to help as many people that I'm like I need to share this message I just have to get over myself yes yes and embrace the sound of my annoying voice (laughs) (laughs) lovely voice I know exactly what you mean um and in it you know it's it's so when, when you're in an industry where ultimately we are, we're sharing a lot of value, there's no denying we share a lot of value, but we're also, we are, we, we, we're, we have to be in a space of receiving that value back and that is through the energy of money. That's a, that's an, it's an energetic flow and, and, and people expect that, you know, they, they want to invest in themselves. They want to invest in you. They want to purchase things that you have, but that transition, that, that mental transition that we often have between, you know, the place where it's just so comfortable to give everything away for free and here's all the free stuff and like value. And that's that's what we love and we're generous with our time. But then also there's a sense of like, for, for me anyway, I believe that we need to be able to receive that value back. Mm. Um, so yeah, and, and you know, I, I kind of picked up on a stat. I can't remember where I where I read it and I'll pick it out and, and put it in the show notes if anyone wants to know but it's like you know this we know that we're saturated with information now and so often people need to see things about seven times to really resonate with it Mm. and to kind of consciously think oh oh I want to I want to make a purchase decision about that I want to invest into it so I feel like as you say as long as we're always going from that place of why you know that 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 alignment it's always from a very authentic place so yeah um, what's, what's the best piece of advice that you've been given and how has it helped you? Um, I, I actually, um, before a journalist, uh, was interviewing me about the food medic and, and being a doctor and it was when I was a very, just very new doctor and she said, how does it feel to be the black sheep amongst the other doctors wow and I was quite upset about that phrase because black sheep you just almost think that you're cast out you're an outcast you know you do something wrong yeah and um I I kind of just brushed it off or whatever and then spoke to it um with my consultant at the hospital at the time and I said to her like I I fear that that my peers look at me differently and um you know should I feel different and she said and she's an Irish consultant as well and she was like Hazel don't be afraid of being the black sheep like like no one ever did anything great without being different and like she just as a conventional consultant in like in in like lung medicine she turned around and said to me keep going yeah you know like what you're doing is good yeah she made me embrace how different I am and now I'm just like hey ho like if if you know if someone doesn't like me that doesn't change me and I know that I'm doing something good so now my mantra is like I say it all the time I'm like don't be afraid to be the black sheep <laughs> I love that yeah she gave you a mantra I know maybe I'll be my next tattoo a little black <laughs> sheep <somewhere. laughs> I love that 
that's so cool. I love that. It's so funny how people <clears throat> can throw these curveballs at us, but they can actually end up being so super powerful and transformational lessons, can't they? Yeah. Um, who would be your electric woman? There's so many. Um, I think I, growing up, I wasn't super close to my mum. I was always, you know, super close to my dad. And when we lost dad, my sisters had both moved out by then. So it was just me and my mum in the house. And we were like, I don't mean this in a bad way, but we were forced to connect on a different level Mm. and grieve with one another, another and get through that time together. And I almost started to see in a completely different light and mm. I bonded with her on a whole new level and she told me things about her life that I'd never known and like learning about the hardship she went through and the struggle she went through as a young woman um, made me realise how powerful she is and then, you know, she she was very young to lose her husband, you know? Yeah. And um, as a 40 year in her 40s, she lost her 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 husband and the love of her life and she had kids to raise yeah and um it made me realize how powerful she is and like after we lost him she went to work for the first time she like trained she she you know she never went to college or university but she went back to do a course and now she still works and she's an awesome she has an awesome job where she um she works in an old folks home with with people who have learning disabilities and she's so passionate about her job like she doesn't have to work if she doesn't really want to, um, or she could retire, but she goes in there and loves her job wow. and she gives them so much. And I think she inspires me to do better and be a better person. Wow. So that was the lovely Hazel. Hazel is someone I admire hugely for her determination, discipline and work ethic. I honestly don't know how she does it sometimes. She's incredible. She's a huge inspiration in the world of medicine and is so passionate about the role that nutrition plays in healing the human body, which is so interesting to me personally. So I know that Hazel's going to be a role model for so many of you, especially those of you who are looking to change the game in some way in your own industry. I hope you enjoyed this episode of She's Electric. Please share it with your friends, subscribe, rate and review the podcast. I'll be back next time with another electric woman.